Good morning, Boker Tov to everyone. Welcome back for Parsha Perspectives for today. It continues to be amazing to be in person. Give an applause to the people listening online. Know there are people here. There you go. We're still trying to prove to the people who watch and listen online that I am not sitting here all alone, faking that we are back. I want to thank our generous series sponsors for the year. My dear friends, Becky and Avi Katz, and family in loving memory of Becky's father, David Grossman, the Nishmas, David Ben Menachem Manish. This morning's shear is also sponsored by Robin and Eric Froman in honor of the Yurtzeit of Harold Dubow, the 15th of Cheshvan. Thank you so much for your generosity. If you'd like to sponsor a future shear of Parsha Perspectives, Sitter Snippets Living with Amuna, or any of the other many, many classes we have during the week, simply go online, brsonline.org, sponsor and you can sponsor easily all in one place. We have the privilege this week of learning Parsha's Vayer. It appears in the Yorzkro Stone Chumash on page 78. We begin Perik Yerches, chapter 18, picking up where we left off last week. At the end of last week, Avram Avinu, 99 years old, performs a circumcision on himself. What an extraordinary feat. What a tremendous statement of dedication and devotion to undergo such a surgery to perform it on himself at such an advanced age without the benefit of anesthesia. And as you can imagine, he is recovering in our Parsha. He is bouncing back. God appears to Avram as, even though he is busy recovering, even though he is coming back, he is healing, he nevertheless positions himself outside of his tent because Avram Avinu is always eager to be hospitable, to host others, to do chesed. For Avram to be denied or deprived the ability to play host would be more painful than to be in bed recovering from his circumcision. For Avram, if he's not actively engaged in helping others, that is a source of greater pain for him than circumcision without anesthesia. So much to, ref- to recognize and appreciate about Avram and so much to feel responsible for as the offspring and progeny of Avram Avinu to follow in his footsteps. He raises his eyes and he sees There are three men hovering over, three men standing over him. He gets up and he runs with alacrity, with zeal to greet them. From the entrance of the tent, and bow down. And they bow toward the ground. So there are a lot of themes in our Parsha which are repetitive. There are several themes in our Parsha which continuously repeat themselves and we'll try to visit some of them. Some of them have to do with davening. Some of them have to do with advocacy, have to do with praying for other people. We'll come back to that. Some of it has to do with alacrity. We're not going to cover that today. But this is the source in the Torah for Zerizim Makdim and Lemitzvos. The notion that we don't delay and we don't procrastinate, we don't wait. But when we have an opportunity to do a mitzvah, we jump. We do it right away. We do it as early as possible. That's why, though, the whole day from sunrise to sunset is kosher for a bris milah. Nevertheless, most of us have been to, maybe we've hosted, a bris that happens early in the morning. Because the reason Makdim and the we have another bris tomorrow morning, Baruch Hashem. So the Amunashir tomorrow is going to be at 9.45, not 8.45 again. Adjust your calendar and your coffee intake. 9.45, not 8.45. Because Baruch Hashem, we have another bris, Kein Yirbu. We should have to move every shear because we welcome new babies each and every day with God's help. So a bris is first thing in the morning. Pidgin Aben is often first thing in the morning. How come weddings are at night? If it's a mitzvah to get married, why don't we make weddings after the 7 a.m. minyan? 
Why are there some mitzvahs that we seem to expedite, some mitzvahs that we do early on and quickly, and other mitzvahs that we delay and we schedule later in the day without any hesitation? Because the florist and the caterer won't be ready. Hair and makeup would have to begin at 3 a.m., 4 a.m. Why don't we do the wedding? Oh, that's what I miss. The laugh at even the bad jokes that I make. Wow, I've missed you the last year and a half. It's good to have you back. It's good to have you back. So why don't we do it early in the morning? So we're not going to cover that. Rav Asher Weiss discusses it in his Minchas Asher. But the discussion of when do we apply Zrizim Makdim and Lemitzvos and when do we not apply it. Is Zrizim and Makdim and Lemitzvos a mitzvah daraisa darabonon? Is it a biblical commandment or a rabbinic commandment? Is it, and I'll leave it at this, the lamdus. This is a quasi chabura. The lamdus. Is Zrizim Makdim and Lemitzvos, the idea that you do a mitzvah as early as possible and you do it with alacrity and enthusiasm, is that part and parcel of the mitzvah or is it a separate secondary corollary to the mitzvah? What do I mean? When you do a mitzvah first thing early on with energy, when we get upstairs after 120, do we get two checks in the same box called bris or one check in the box called bris and another check in another box, a separate independent mitzvah called zarizim makdima, do it early on. What's an afgamina? What's the practical difference between the two? Can you fulfill Zrizim Makdiman even before the time of the mitzvah? The earliest that you could do a bris is at sunrise. Can you lay out the instruments and prepare the baby and have everything ready to go beforehand so that punct, the moment sunrise hits, you do the bris. Have you fulfilled Zrizim Makdiman early on? Or no, Zrizim Makdiman can only be fulfilled from the time of the mitzvah itself. If I just lost you, come back home. We're coming back now. We're coming back now. There's a lot to say on that topic. I'm excited by it, but it is not for now. So there's several themes that repeat themselves in this. Here Avram is recovering. He's recovering from circumcision. You know, you would imagine it would take a little time, a little healing, a little rehab. And he is running, eager, zeal, and enthusiasm because he has guests and he has to feed them. There are three what he thinks of a men. We really know that they are angels, but they appear to him to be men. The Kedushas Levi, the Helga Rav Levi Yitzchak of Berdichev says the following comment I found fascinating. So the Zohar says, the Zohar says, Who were these three men? Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. Now that's a little problematic. Why? Because Avram's the one greeting the three men. So what does it mean Avram is greeting Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov? What happens? Vayar, he sees. First of all, that's also another theme of our parsha. we'll come back to. Vayisa eina vayar. He has to raise his eyes to see. What was he doing? Why did it take him to raise his eyes? Why didn't he see them until they were standing over him, until they were standing on top of him? What is the notion of what we see and what we don't see? So the Zohar says, this great book of Jewish mysticism mystically says, who are the three men that Avram sees? None other than Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. What in the world does that mean? He is Avram. Yitzchak hasn't been born yet. Yaakov is his Anakal's grandson. What does it mean those are the three men? We know the three angels. They come to perform different missions. They take the guise, the appearance of men. What does that mean? Thank God. We have Rav Levi Yitzchak of Berdichev to explain it. Says the Helege Kedushas Levi. Hine Avram ayalo ke'ev men hamila. Avram was in pain from the circumcision. V'yalacholi yesh midas rachmonas alav. When it comes to a sick person, we have tremendous mercy. We have compassion for someone who's sick. V'afilu achi yitzchazek v'rat l'krosav v'nag b'midas hagvura. So Avram was sick and had every reason in the world to be a spectator, to be passive. 
Avram legitimately would have every excuse in the world to sit and to receive the kindness of others. I'm sure there was a meal train set up for Avram and Sarah. I'm sure there was Bikr Cholom that was visiting Avram and Sarah. There was probably the Satan Bikr Cholom in the desert outside of his tent. They had their own tent pitched in order to deliver incredible meals to Avram. Normally the sick person who is recovering is, in the, is receiving chesed. What did Avram do? He dug deep inside himself and despite recuperating, despite having every reason to be a spectator, he expresses and he exerts what midah? Gvura. If Avram is characterized by chesed, by loving kindness, Yitzchak is defined and characterized by what? Gvura, strength. Yitzchak perseveres and survives the Akeid at the end of our parsha, the attempt to kill him. Not an attempt, but the test of killing him. Yitzchak has to redig wells. Yitzchak has to conf- confront the plishtim. Yitzchak is gvura, he's might, he's strength, he's tenacity. Venimta sheyesh kan midas Avram v'yitzchak. And what happens? What's Yaakov's quality? MS. MS is the blending. MS is the hybrid between Chesed and Gvura combined. Chesed and Gvura seem to be antithetical to one another. Loving kindness, generosity, sensitivity, flexibility, as opposed to Gvura, which is to be rigid and strong. What is the combination of the two? Is Yaakov. So says Rav Levi Yitzchak of Berdichev, what it means is the following. And now it goes from being something so cryptic, and what in the world does it mean, to being something I find so beautiful and, and, and incredibly inspiring. A person has to live their life and know that when we have to make decisions, when we have to choose our behavior, in every moment and for everything we do, we are impacting ourselves, our children, and our grandchildren. What does he see before him? He sees who he will be, who his son will be, and who his grandson will be. These three men that appear before him are Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. It means he says to himself, there are three hungry, tired people. If I use my excuse that I'm recovering and recuperating, that who will I be? Will I be the Avram of Chesed? If I don't display Gvura in this moment, will I be able to have a son who is characterized by Gvura? And if I can't combine the two and maintain that equilibrium and balance between Chesed and Gvura, Will I produce a Yaakov who's MS? So it goes from being a cryptic comment to a very beautiful insight of Rav Yitzchak that at every moment and in every decision we have to ask ourselves not what's the easy way out, what's comfortable, what's convenient, but what will define me? What will contribute to defining my children and my grandchildren, my legacy? And that's what can enable us to find that inner strength. Sometimes we're tired. I'm very tired. We're all very tired. It's been a very taxing couple of years, emotionally, physically, spiritually. And there are moments that are presented to us, whether to come to the shir this morning, whether to come in person to the shir, whether to daven with all of our being. We're going to talk about the power of tefillah and some of the ingredients of tefillah today. We are challenged in different moments, and it's tempting to take that easy way out. And we have legitimate excuses, just like Avram had when he was busy recuperating. But yet Avram recognized that what was at stake at that moment was not just that moment. What was at stake was who he would be, who his children would be, and who his grandchildren would be. And says Rav Levi Yitzchak, that's what it means, that he raises his eyes and he sees, These three people, these three generations, they're standing over him. Before us, in our mind's eye, we should always see these generations and ask ourselves, who do we need to be and how do we need to conduct ourselves to make that impact 
on these generations. You see this also in another way. What happens? Perak Yerches Pasuk Zayin. So he welcomes these angels and he says that he thinks are men. Wash your feet. He's concerned they've been engaged in Avodah Zarah. What do you see about this, by the way? Was Avram only hospitable to Haim Yidin? Did Avram only welcome into his tent somebody with a yarmulke on their head? Was Avram only willing to display loving kindness to people who were exactly like him? Whom does Avram invite into his tent? People he suspects of Avodah Zarah. That's who he's inviting in. Momentarily, he's going to advocate and lobby and daven on behalf of the people of stone. He's not davening, Hashem, there's a tzaddik in the hospital. You don't know this tzaddikis. You have to spare her. Give her a full shlema. He's saying, Hashem, there's a Russia that I know. A Russia Marusha. Rishoim Arurim. And yet, I'm intervening on their behalf. That's Avram. That's our legacy. We are the B'nai Avram. We are the children of Avram. We don't only care about and we don't only intervene on behalf of those who are exactly like us or who meet our standards or who live our lifestyle or meet our approval. Avram welcomes in people he thinks are Uvdei Avodah Zarah. They have to wash their feet. Avram advocates for people who he knows are Rishoim. So what does he do? He prepares for them. El Avraham. Avram doesn't stop running. Running, running, running. He is recovering and recuperating. He's on crutches, he's got a walker, he's in a wheelchair, he's got a cane. He just has, has circumcision. He's 99 years old. Without a circumcision at 99 years old, you could use those apparatuses. He's 99 and just freshly and newly circumcised. And yet, again, Vayat, he's running, 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 doing, doing, doing. Vayikach ben Bakar, Rach Vatov, Amon Pasuk Zion, verse 7. Vayitain alhanar vayimaher la'asososo. He goes, Notice, by the way, when you have guests, you don't go get the milchiks. He does not take out an impossible burger. He goes, and he goes to the steak. Where else are you going to go if you're going to properly be hospitable and host guests? This is part of my life mission to represent the carnivores among us. So Avram runs, and he goes, and he takes out a nice piece of flesh, and tender and good, delicious, and he gives it elanar, elanar. Says Rashi, why is he giving it to the nar? What happened? Did he run out of steam? Did he run out of energy? This is the same Avram that jumped at the opportunity when he saw the three people. This is the same Avram, Vayaretz, he's running. He wants to choose the rib steak, the strip steak, the hanger steak. He wants to choose the, the cut of meat. And all of a sudden, he's handing it over. Why is he handing it over? Vayitain Elanar, he's handing it over to the lad, says Rashi, Zuyishmal. Who is this young man that he's handing it over to? There is only one young man so far in his life, that's Yishmael. Yitzhak has not yet arrived, that's why the angels are here. And what's the reason he's giving it to Yishmael, says Rashi? Lechancho b'mitzvos. In order to educate him, to engage him, to involve him in the process of mitzvos. So in this beautiful sefer called L'Sitcha Elyon, another new sefer I have, when you give the parshashir so many years, you gotta stay on your toes and constantly get new svarim. So this is a fantastic, L'Sitcha Elyon is Limude Parshas Hashavua that are taking from Rabbi Seinu Balei Hamusser. So we have our we have our Mikros Kedolos of Chasidus, and we have our essentially Mikros Kedolos of Musser personalities. Phenomenal compendiums. People did the hard work for us. Otherwise, I'd have to have bookcases and libraries up here. If each one were in a separate safer, they took the best of, put them in Svarim, and I'm trying to take the best of what they took the best of to share with you. So in this beautiful safer, the Sitcha Elyon, it says the following. Avram is longing, he's waiting. Avram doesn't sit by the phone, and when he sees it's the shul calling, and maybe someone needs to be hosted, he doesn't answer. Avram keeps calling the shul, and he says, No, you haven't called me in forever. 
Doesn't anyone need a meal? Doesn't anyone need a, a room? Doesn't anyone need hospitality? By the way, nobody does that. If you'd like to sign up to be like Avram, we could use your help. And we see that when he merits that these angels appear, he runs. Four times we find in these two psukim running. Two psukim, four references to the alacrity and zeal and the running. He saw they were in a rush, so he was in a rush. And this is the source that we don't do things slowly, and we don't do things hesitantly and reluctantly, but we reflect the attitude we bring by the zeal that we apply. In the middle of all this, all of a sudden you see, Avram goes to the freezer, he chooses the, the cut of meat, and what happened? Four times he's running himself, and all of a sudden he's handing it off. Rashi What do you see from Rashi? Rashi says Avram's entire motivation of why he gave it over to Yishmael was why? To include him in the process, to educate him. Which means that did he really need Yishmael's help? No. Avram's got it. He's covered it till now, and he can man a barbecue the best like anyone else. He doesn't really need Yishmael. His entire reason why he involved Ishmael was to educate. Rom Nikuda Nifla. Say the Balamusar, we see a very powerful point. Sometimes in our zeal and our alacrity, in our enthusiasm, sometimes in our excitement for mitzvahs or for life, we leave the children behind. We're running out to the base medrash. We're running out to shul. We're running out to the fabring and the tish. We're running out to get together. We're running out to do the mitzvah. And we leave the children behind. We leave them home alone. We leave them in our dust. That wasn't Avram. In the middle of the zrizas, in the middle of running and doing, Avram realizes that part of the fulfillment of running and doing is involving Yishmael, is involving the next generation. Our mitzvahs can't come at the expense of our children. They are the invitation and opportunity to involve and engage our children, to bring them with us to the hospital for the visit, to bring them with us to drop off that meal, to bring them with us to the fabrengen or the tish, to bring them with us to the oneg, to bring them with us to the base medrash, to not leave them behind, but to lead by example. Turn the page. We are flying today. Turn uh, two pages. Avram is going to be a great nation. This is uh, Stone's destruction. Hashem is about to reveal something to Avraham. He's about to let him in on an intelligence briefing that nobody else in the world has. Says Hashem, I have been utterly disappointed by the absolute corruption of the people of Stone, of these five cities, and it's time to wipe them out. This is a microcosm of Parshas Noach. Just like in Noah, humanity globally disappointed God. He did a hard reboot, a hard reset. Now, a microcosm, there's a specific region who are disappointing and violating the very reason God created a world, and God does a hard reset on them. But he says, this special relationship with Avram, I can't hold this from Avram. I gotta tell him in advance. I gotta give him some advance warning. This is, a, I've, gotta, I've gotta give him a briefing. And why? Why does Hashem feel compelled? What drives him? 
So Hashem doesn't conceal that from us. He tells us this pasuk, chapter eighteen, verse nineteen. Pasuk because I know Avram is devoted to his children and his grandchildren. They observe the way of Hashem. They do tzedakah or mishpah. They don't just shuckle hard and have very good hachsherim, which are very, very important, and I try to do myself, but they also do mishpat and staka. They're also very consumed by justice and charity, interpersonal, representing the uh, underprivileged. Now, we've spoken about this pasuk a lot in the past, and I'm not going to repeat it, because a good friend of mine who made a brief appearance here at the Shir pointed out that I, my favorite divrei Torah make their way into every Parsha Shir. So you'll have to listen to a previous year if you want to hear more about this pasuk that I love. The Rambam Shvila Zahav comes from this pasuk. The Rambam don't live in extremes. You have to live the golden mean comes from this pasuk. Previously, we spoke about where the fact that Hashem is telling Avram, you know why I love you? Not because of you. I love you because you are committed to transmit what you have to your children, not at the expense of your children. Again, continuing a similar, a similar theme. So listen to what the Chavetz Chaim says on this Pasuk. This is new. The Chavetz Chaim says the following. Chavetz Chaim appears not in his Chavetz Chaim on, uh, on the Al-Chumash, but it's in his Sefer Nidche Yisrael. The Chavetz Chaim wrote many Sfarim. Some of them became, became many, uh, much more well-known than others. So Sefer Chavetz His name wasn't Chavetz Chaim. Yisrael Meir Kagan of Raden. His mother called him Yisrael Meir. She didn't say, Chavetz Chaim, come for dinner. Chavetz Chaim, did you do your homework? He had a name. But certain people became known by the name of their Sfarim. The Nod of Yehuda and the Avnei Nezer. These became so well known, they became known by the name of their Sfarim. So the Chavetz Chaim's name was Yisrael Meir Kagan, and he wrote several Sfarim. You can have this a three-volume set that for many years collected dust on my shelf because someone got it for me for my bar mitzvah, and only when I was an adult did I appreciate that I even owned it. And thank God, unlike many bar mitzvah kids, I did not put it in Shemos in the interim. Sometimes I've gone through Shemos and I find the bar mitzvah gifts that I've given out. It's always a good, always a good feeling. Anyway, but it's good for repurposing. That's why Hashem created Whiteout. So the Chavetz Chaim, just joking. Chavetz Chaim says the following, it's in a Sefer Nidcha Yisrael Perak Yud, and he writes the following, In the generation of the time of Avram, there were other righteous people. Avram was not the only one. He stood out for reasons we spoke about last Shabbos, and maybe we'll review this morning, but there were others. Because Shem Ve'ever, who were predecessors of Avram, had a yeshiva, yeshiva Shem Ve'ever. The yeshiva had students. Malki Tzedek is a priest, a righteous priest. We know that Malki Tzedek was shame, Rashi tells us. So the Chavot Chaim wonders, there were other righteous contemporaries of Avram, Shem and Aver, they even in fact had a yeshiva. So why aren't they the fathers of a nation? Why is Avram Avinu? Why is Avram the Av Hamon Goyim? Avram is the father of all great nations. Avram is the patriarch of the Jewish people, the chosen people. And Shem Ve'ever, who were righteous, had a yeshiva, lived contemporaneous to Avram, and they are footnotes to history. What is the difference between them? Says the Chavetz Chaim, Torah The Torah itself tells us the reason. It doesn't hide it. You don't have to guess. So the rest of them, says the Chavetz Chaim, the rest of them kept their relationship to Hashem to themselves. They kept it to themselves. They worshipped Hashem personally and privately. 
They involved him in their life, in their own private and personal life. Avram Avinu got up on a soapbox. Avram Avinu broadcast the message everywhere and to anyone who would listen. There's a God, there's one God. Enough with the shtus of paganism and idolatry. Stop worshiping the mighty dollar celebrities, pop culture athletes. Stop worshiping social media. There's one Hashem and there's meaning in life when we attach ourselves to Him. Avram told the world, you're right, they were righteous. And you're right, they also practiced monotheism. But they kept it to themselves. Avram shared it with the world. We spoke about last Shabbos that really the Rambam in his introduction to Hilchus Avodah tells the whole history of religion and tells us that from the beginning of time there were monotheists, Adam and Chava, Mesushelach, and so on and so forth. What distinguished or differentiated Avram and the reason he's the father, the patriarch, not only of our people, but in many ways of all people, is because Avram didn't keep it to himself. He shared it with the world. I know, I know. Revolba points out this, we did say last year. Hashem is trying to express his affection for Avram. Avram, I love you. Avram, you're great. I feel so close to you. I feel so connected with you. I could never withhold this from you. And what word does he use to express affection? Ki yidativ. You know how you express affection? When you come to know somebody. If you don't ever care enough to know about them, you don't really love them. You don't love them. They're the people that every time you get together with them, all they do is talk about themselves and they never ask you one question about you. And if you're sharing about you, they have no interest in hearing about you. And then they claim to be your close friend or close family member or that they love you. But if somebody doesn't have the interest or the patience to inquire about you, then they don't have a lot of affection for you. One of the ways, a critical way to express affection is to care enough to get to know people. This is a big signal when I talk to young people about dating. On that date, on that date, do they ask you about you or do they only want to talk about themselves? That is a big red flag if they never have an interest in asking about you. If all they want to do is talk about them, then they're not going to be very affectionate. There's not going to be a whole lot of love. So it says Revolba, Kiyadativ, the word that the Torah uses to express Hashem's affection is Kiyadativ. Hashem says, I know you. I know you. We spend time together. I ask about you, and I watch you, and I observe you, and I listen to you, and I hear what's going on in your life. I know you. And that's the expression of affection. That is how you know whether someone really loves someone else or not. Let's keep going. Hashem says, bad news, bad stuff going on down there. Corruption, iniquity, there is um, moral decadence, moral descent. So what does Hashem do? Erdana, Pasuk Chavalaf, Erdana ve'ere'eh, ha'ketza'akasa, ba'ilai asukala, ve'imlo eda'ah. Hashem says, I gotta go down and check it out. Let me see what's going on down there. And of course the question begs itself, go down to check it out. What happened to the omnipotent, omniscient God? Doesn't he know everything from wherever he is? Why does he have to come down to take a closer look? So we mentioned this two week parshios ago, because Migdal Bavel, it says the same thing. God says, let me go down to see what's going on. How come when we mess up, Hashem has to come down? He can't give us a patch from up there. He has to come down to check it out to see for himself. So Rashi says the same thing in both places. Look at Rashi here, Pasach Havalaf. Lamad Ladayanam. This is a teaching for judges. And he said the same thing earlier, Parshas HaFlaga, let me go down and check out. And the message is true in both places. Do not have an opinion until you see for yourself. Says God, I'm omnipotent and omniscient. I'm infinite and all-knowing. And yet, I go check it out for myself. I don't listen secondhand. 
I don't take someone else's word. I don't rush to judgment. I don't make conclusions. I go check it out for myself, and so should you. Don't come to conclusions without seeing for yourself, without talking to the person, without hearing both sides, without knowing what's going on. Er dana. Hashem says, let me model for you what you need to do. You cannot come to conclusions, you cannot come to judgment through second-hand or third-hand information. You have to come down, you have to see, you have to know for yourself. We mentioned Rav Schwab. Rav Schwab says that from Hashem's high perch, where He is perfect, it's very hard to be tolerant of the imperfections of others. And that's what it means, Hashem says, let me come down. Let me come down to humanity. Let me come down to this earth. Let me look at it and think about it through your perspective. A world of temptation, a world of stress and anxiety, a world of challenge and desire. And when I can look at it through your eyes, when I can look at it through the eyes of someone who struggles, let me come down. Now I can be more tolerant, more forgiving. Now I can understand it with empathy and sympathy. And that's what we need to do. Sometimes we look at people with such intolerance can't believe they behave that way. My family would never do such a thing. We have to get out of our ivory tower and come off of our high horse and come down and realize that people aren't perfect and life isn't easy. And we have to grow and learn in our tolerance for others. That's why Rav Schwab writes that we just concluded the Yom Kippur, the Yom Naram season, particularly Yom Kippur, Ni'ila Slichos, we repeat the Yud Midos, we invoke God's 13 attributes of mercy. And what do we always say beforehand? We introduce it with, Vayered Hashem. Hashem, come down. If you're going to have mercy with, uh, on us, it's only because you see from our level, from our perspective, from our perspective. Okay, uh, there's a beautiful piece by Rav Druk. Rav Druk is going to be here this Shabbos, the Mirza Shem in Boka. He's going to speak at Shalashidus this week. You're invited to hear Rav Yisrael Mayor Druk. We spent many months learning his Eshtamid on Parsha. We didn't do this piece, but in honor of Rav Druk coming this Shabbos, um, I'll share a piece from his Sefer. Here's a problem Rav Druk points out. Did God come down in the end or not? He tells Avram, let me come down. He tells the malachim, he tells the world, let me come down and check it out. Then what's the very next pasuk? The angels leave Avram and they pivot and go to Sodom. What happened? Did he come down or not? He says, let me come down. He models for us, you got to go see for yourself. Let me come down. And the next thing we know, the Torah is reporting that the angels went to Stom to carry out their mission of destroying it. Did he come down or not? Why doesn't the Torah tell us? Moreover, why did he have to come down at all? He's all-knowing, he's omnipotent, he's omniscient, he's God. Number three, Rashi tells us that on that day, Lot was appointed the judge over them. So if they, the people of Stom, chose Lot as a leader, what does that tell you about Lot? That Lot is aligned with their evil views. So the very same day that Lot, that Lot uh, puts his lot pun intended, with the people of stone, is the very same day that he saves his children, he saves the angels. So which is the real lot? The wicked, evil lot, who aligns with stone, or the pure, compassionate, kind lot, who offers hospitality and saves lives? Will the real lot please stand up? So says Rav the following, nearly Yashiv, you can answer. There are two types of chataim. When we make mistakes, when we come up short, 
when we have indiscretions, there are two reasons or two types. Sometimes we do an Avera because really we're a good person with good intentions and good ambitions, but the temptation of the moment, we couldn't, we couldn't overcome it. Such a person is a Baal Avera. Why are they called a Baal, Baal Avera? Here he quotes one of my favorite Divrei Torah. We call someone a Baal Avera, but we call them a Bar Mitzvah. What does the word Bar mean? Son. Bar is Aramaic for Ben, son. What do we call a girl who turns 12? A Bat or a Bas Mitzvah, the daughter of a Mitzvah. So why is someone a Baal Avera, and yet they are a Ben or Bas Mitzvah? Baal means a spouse. Ben or Bas means a child. Says Rav Druk, because the Avera you're, you're only married to. Someone who's married can get divorced. But if you're a child, that is a relationship that can never be severed. That is a relationship, that biological relationship with a parent-child. I don't mean, you know, you can hire a lawyer to, uh, what's it called? Emancipate yourself. Emancipate yourself is a legal status. But a metaphysical status, once you're a child, you're always a child. So the relationship with Torah is that you're a child of Torah because that is not a relationship you could ever sever or break. But the relationship with what we do, you're a Baal Tzedakah or you're a Baal Avera. Because you're only a Baal Tzedakah as long as you give Tzedakah. But if you get divorced from Tzedakah, you stop giving it, you're no longer a Baal Tzedakah. So you're only a Baal Tzedakah, you're not a Ben or a Bas Tzedakah. So Torah is different in that way from these behaviors. So on the one hand, there's the Avera, <coughs> excuse me, there's the Baal Avera, who can separate and divorce themselves from the Avera. On the other hand, there is such a hate. There are people who are so evil, so wicked, people so defined by their negativity, by their behavior, that it's part and parcel of who they are and of their character. How do you know whether the bad behavior is something which is external? Really, you're a good, pure person, you've just engaged in bad behavior, or are you a bad person? Are you a bad person? What is the test? When holiness, when you encounter holiness, when you encounter a holy time or a holy person, if you're a good person who just gives in to temptation, when you encounter, when you are exposed to holiness, it will bring out the best in you. But if really in your core you're a bad person, then even being exposed to or connected to holiness will not impact you or change you whatsoever. Says Rav Juk, that's what's going on over here. That's what HaKadosh Baruch wanted to come down and see. Let me come down and see the people of stone. Are they, are they inherently good people? They're just misbehaving? Or are they bad people? So he sent the Malachim to stone. And the Malachim bring with themselves a certain level of Kedusha. The Malachim bring a holiness and a sanctity. The Malachim are supposed to be this magnet that people will be drawn to attach themselves with spiritual aspiration. And what happens? Zedom is unmoved, but Lot is moved. So we ask three questions. Number one, did he go down or not? Hashem says, let me go down and see. The next thing you know, the angels are going to Stom. Did he come down or not? Number two, number two was, this Lot, is he bad or is he good? If he's so bad, why was he so helpful to the angels and to his children? If he's so good, how could he be attached himself to Sodom? To Sodom? So Rav Druk is answering that Hashem was sending the angels down. Hashem said, let me come down to see. Did he come down to see? Yes. Why didn't the Torah tell us he did? It did tell us he did. When it told us that the angels went to Stom, that was Hashem's coming down to test the people of Stom, to expose them to holiness and to see whether they were drawn to it, elevated by it. They weren't. So Hashem says, 
Zagazunt, baby, you're out of here, we're done. Lot is elevated by it, so Hashem says, you're the man, you are worthy of saving. And, and Rav Druk applies this, we just, again, it's a little anticlimactic, but it's a Dvar Torah for next year. In Aseris Yimei Tshuva, the days between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, we go on our best behavior. Even if we rely on Paspalter, even if we're not strict to eat Pas Yisrael the whole year, those 10 days, we only eat Pas Yisrael. And there are other behaviors that we are encouraged to be more meticulous about in those days. Who are we fooling? Who are we faking? What are we doing? Says Rav Druk, it's the same thing. These are holy days and holy times, and God is testing us. Are we drawn to and are we elevated by a sense of holiness? That is what is going on over here. Okay. Perak Yerchaz Pasuk Chav Beis. Moving along. What happens? So let's go full circle here. Avram is in the middle of a conversation with God, and all of a sudden he sees three men are standing over him. Uh, the Torah means to tell us three angels in the guise of men. The Zohar said he saw Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, means he saw what was at stake and how he would respond to those men. He says, God, would you mind holding on a minute? I have to take care of these people. They're hungry, they're tired, they're thirsty. Can I put you on hold for a minute and take care of them? And what does God say? The omnipotent, infinite creator of the universe, the master of the universe. You have an audience with the most powerful, with the creator. I would think you don't interrupt that for anything. Could you imagine you're in the Oval Office, you're meeting with the president, whatever president, whatever time, whichever president you'd be happy to be meeting with, and your phone rings. Would you have the audacity? Would you have the chutzpah to say to the president of the Oval Office, could you just give me one second? I gotta take this call. By the way, today, yes, many people would, but that's absurd. It's absurd. It's absurd to do that. Sometimes I'm meeting with people and they say, Rabbi, I just gotta take this. And they say, I can't talk now, I'm meeting with the rabbi. I said, you know, you, you could just ignore. <laughs> you don't have to answer to say, I can't talk now because I'm meeting with the rabbi. So who would do such a thing? Yet Avram does that. And how does God react? Through Chazal, he teaches us through his mouthpiece, our rabbis, and he tells us what? Was Avram punished? Was he wrong? Was it chutzpah? Hashem says, I love it. So much greater to host guests than it would be to even continue talking to me. And this too we say every year because it's worth repeating every year. God says, if you have a choice between being like me or talking to me, go be like me. If you can go either be imitating me or talk to me, go imitate me. The analogy is incorrect really. The analogy is not you're in the Oval Office and you take a call. The analogy is you're on the phone with one of your children and they say to you, Mommy, Abba, can I call you back? My sister or my brother need my help with something. What do you say? Psst, nothing would make me happier. Hang up on me right now. You're gonna go take care of a sibling? You're gonna go display loyalty and love to a sibling? Hang up on me. So our rabbis understand, God says more important for you to be like me than to continue to talk to me. So Avram does. He goes and he takes care of these three people, makes a big barbecue, feeds them. They come to give their message, has the whole conversation that he's going to have a child. Then what? Where does he leave off? So the Pasuk tells us, this is Pasuk of Beis, that we just read together. The three angels are well fed, their feet have been washed, and they pivot and turn to leave to go to stone. And what's Avram doing? Avraham odenu Hashem. Avram is still standing before Hashem. Avram is still standing in front of Hashem. Now, the simple understanding of the Pasuk is also very important because what does it tell us? That when he was taking care of them, 
it wasn't independent or apart from Hashem, Hashem was still there. Hashem was in that act of hospitality. Odenu, he was still there. But listen to what the Kutzker Rebbe says. Such a classic Kutzker. And the Kutzker was very biting. Not in, a, not in a cynical, negative way, but better, better than biting is that the, the Kutzker was sharp. He was very sharp. He said things in an incredibly sharp way. So listen to the Kutzker. Va'avraham odenu omed lefnei Hashem, al'af she'kabalas orchem gedola mi'kabalas p'neshchina, b'chol zos omer lo Hashem, Still, Hashem says to him, Gedenk, Azach bin Eichda, Tizkor she'ani gam nimtzakan. Don't forget, I'm also still here. I love this Kutzker. And maybe I just butchered the Yiddish, but I'm interviewing Ruth Wise tomorrow night, so I got to practice my Yiddish. Tizkor she'ani gam nimtzakan. Says the Kutzker, Remember, I'm also here. I'm also here. God says, yes, I would rather you leave me to go take care of your sibling. Yes, I'd rather you go be like me than talk to me. But don't forget, I'm still here. Why is this Kutzker? Why does it speak to me? Because sometimes we have that legitimate excuse. So let's say we can't make it to Minyan. There are halachically approved and endorsed times, don't go to Minyan. If your spouse is sinking, because there are crying babies and children and things that need to be done and carpool. And in that moment, you have a responsibility at home, don't go to Minyan. If you have a need to help a widow, an orphan, someone struggling, and that means that you can't go to Minyan that day, don't go to Minyan that day. So what happens? Sometimes we feel that excuse is so cogent, that excuse is so strong, that okay, we leave God and we go take care of those people. Hashem says, you did the right thing, and I'm glad you did it, but don't forget I'm still here. Don't forget I'm still here. Don't, in your turn, to live so meaningfully and fully, don't forget that I'm still here. Don't forget that I'm still here. He also has another great Kutzker. This actually is from one of the um, spiritual heirs of the Kutzker, of Ari Tzvi Frimer, the Kashig lover going, the Eretz Tzvi. The Eretz Tzvi, Parshish Baaloscha says, that Avram advocates and he says, Maybe there are 50 righteous people still in the city. Why does he say in the city? So the Kutzker, through his Talmud, the, the Kasha Glover says, Iker harabus lios besocha ir, umikomakom lios tzadik, ki bebeis hamedrash, yesh harbeit tzadikim, vein zerevusa. He doesn't say, maybe there's a base medrash in stone, maybe there's still 50 tzadikim in the base medrash, because there's no kunst to be a tzadik in the base medrash. The kunst is to be a tzadik besocha ir. Go to work and be a tzaddik. Go to the supermarket and be a tzaddik. Go to the gym and be a tzaddik. Go engage and encounter. Go live and participate. Go contribute and take from the secular society around us, the world around us. Go be besochair. Go take all that Yahadas gives us and live it and, and embrace it and express it in the world. That's the kunst. So says the, the Kashik lover, says the Rari Tzifrimer, says the Eretzvi from the, from the Kotzker, where? To be a tzaddik in the base medjish? Eh, it's not a kunz. But to be a tzaddik, now that's impressive. And that is what he is uh, challenged. That's what he is, that's what he is asking. Okay, let's keep going. Vayomer lo, perikites pasig yudches. Stone. Stone's being destroyed. The angels come. They're coming, uh, a load is tested. Will he step up and stand up for these angels? Top of page 88. Top of page 88. Perak Yudches. Sorry, Perak Yudches. Keep going. Perak Yudches, Pasuk Yudches. 
Top of page 88. Lot said to them, No, see, your servant has found grace in your eyes, your kindness was great, that which you did for me to save my life, but I can't escape to the mountain because the evil will attach itself to me and I will surely die. Instead, one of these five cities is close to us. If I go run, I won't make it. But there is a city close to us, Mitzar. Let's go run there and let's go survive there. It's small, we can live, we'll blend in, we'll survive. And so on and so forth. So Rav Druk says, back to Ishtamid, we'll do another Rav Druk in honor of his visit one more today, in honor of his upcoming visit this Shabbos. And he says the following, Why was this city of stone, it's a region, there are five cities, five towns, and why was Tsohar spared? Why was it not destroyed? Rashi gives us two reasons. Number one, he quotes in the Medrash, because Ha'ir Azos Krova Yeshivasa Nisyashva Mikarov Adayin. It uh, was not fully inhabited, was not fully corrupt. It was not inhabited till a year after the other cities. People did not move in. The development was not complete. The houses weren't done. Since they moved in a year later, their iniquity was a year less. So Hashem could leave it. Moreover, it is fewer people. So therefore, it's not as threatening. There are fewer people in it. It's not as high risk to leave it be, and you could leave it as it is. The Ramban, those are the two reasons Rashi gives why Tzohar could be spared. The Ramban gives another reason. It is uh, one of the places that was destined to be destroyed. Lot couldn't run to the mountains. He had to come to Tzohar. Since Lot was going to be spared, Tzohar was spared. So here's the question. Tzohar was spared because Lot was going to be living in it. How do you understand that? Who davened for Tzohar to be spared? None other than Avram Avinu. The most righteous, the most beloved, the one Hashem is the most affection to, the one who will be the father of the Jewish people, the one through whom Hashem will repair and correct his world, gave it his all and davened from the, every fiber of his being that these five cities, including Tzohar, would be spared. And Hashem said, the answer is no. I'm sorry, the answer is no. Lot says, yeah, the mountains won't work out to save my life. I need to go to Tzohar. And God says, okay, I'll spare Tzohar. Does Lot compare to Avram in righteousness and merit? And yet God saves Tzohar for Lot, but didn't listen to the advocacy of Avram. What in the world's going on here? Asks Rav Druk. And he says the following. Says Rav Druk, and there's a lot more I want to cover, so I'll talk to you outside. He says, you cannot compare a person who's davening for themselves with someone who's davening for someone else. When you daven for someone else, no matter how sincere you are, no matter how genuine you are, it still is not the same voice of desperation as when you daven for yourself. As when you daven for yourself. So what do you see as part of the very definition of davening from here? 
Listen carefully, my friends, this is so important. What do you see as part of the core definition of davening? That you have to genuinely and authentically, you have to deeply and profoundly feel that without Hashem, I'm in trouble. It's not that I'm gonna make parnasah, I have a job, I have a contract, I get a paycheck, but I say Baruch Aleinu every day because yeah, it's a nice idea that God gives me my parnasah. I have to say Baruch Aleinu every day that if God doesn't will it, I could get fired, I could lose all my money, I'm done tomorrow. Our davening has to be out of desperation. Our, body, our davening has to be out of a sense of not, I'm pretty healthy. I just had my physical. I got my lab reports. I'm healthy. I'm well. All is good. I still daven for good health because, yeah, God's in charge and who knows what could happen. No, every moment that I have good health, it could disappear in an instant, in an instant. And therefore, the davening has to be out of a genuine sense, a real, a true sense of I am nothing and I have nothing without Him. Karov Hashem l'chol karov, l'chol be'emes. It has to be genuine. It has to be truthful. It has to be truthful. Is this two parts of a pasuk? Karov Hashem l'chol karov. God's close to all who call out of Him. L'chol be'emes. And all who call out of Him truthfully. Says Rav Druk, no. Unlike the other psukim of Ashrei, we say, Those are two separate clauses within one sentence, and they mean two separate things. Here, there's no vav. There's no vav. Here it's karav Hashem karav, The second half of the pasuk is defining the first half. God is close to all who call out to Him. Do you know what it means to call out to Him? Be'emes. It has to be true. If you're doing it because you're giving him lip service, you're just putting a check mark in the sitter, you're just trying to say the words, if you're doing it even with a little bit of meaning, but you don't believe in your core that you desperately need him, then that's not real davening. That is not real davening. Real davening it is, it has to come from the depth, from the core of our being. He has a long piece here, we don't have time for the rest of it. You can look at it yourself inside, or you can ask Rav the Shabbos for it. But I want to share with you a corollary of it that's not from Rav Druk. It comes from the Maharal. The Maral of Prague, the Maral of Prague makes a very cryptic comment in his Nesif Avoda. It's very troublesome, and it bothered none other than the Chassam Sofer. Chassam Sofer was asked about this comment by the Maharal, and he says the following: Higianu haras dvarim tama alago on Maharami Prague b'sefer Nesiva Solom Nesiva Avoda Perikud Beis. He says it came to my attention the comment of the Maharal, who says the following: The piut machnise rachamim ain lanu imalachim klum. So we know that there's a tradition that we omit. Um, the period of Machnisei Rachamim. It's a beautiful song. I think it's Avon Fried. Great interview last week if you haven't heard it yet. Machnisei Rachamim. We don't say it. Why? We don't use intermediaries. I don't talk to God through angels. We talk to God directly. We talk to God directly. So he quotes here the Maral in this context says, um, the Maral in this context says that Hashem doesn't answer a tefillah unless it is coming from us about us. The davening we do for others is not a real tefillah. The davening has to be for ourselves. So many of the look on your faces right now is the same look on the Chassam Sofer's face. Maral, what do you mean God is not interested and doesn't listen and it's not the definition of davening when we daven for others? Do we not have a whole Tehillim group and a whole Tehillim circle? Do we not send out names and say so-and-so is in need of davening? Do we not make a Mishaberach and people submit names so we can daven for one another? What are you talking about that we don't daven for other people? That's most of the davening that we do. If please God and thank God, we're in a position to not need it for ourselves. What is he talking about? 
So Chassam Sofer answer is based on a comment of the Rambam. When the Rambam defines the mitzvah of tefillah, the Rambam writes, after reciting Shevach of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, after reciting praise, the Rambam writes, listen to this expression, Shoel Tzrachov Shehu Tzarech Lahen. You ask for your needs that you need them. Now the Rambam was brilliant, and the Rambam was scientific, and the Rambam did not waste words. Isn't that a clumsy clause? Shoel Tzrachov, you ask for your needs, Shehu Tzarech Lahen, that you need them. Do you have needs that you not need them? What is the Rambam writing? So the Chassam Sofer explains the Rambam and with it the Maharal the following way. He says, very similar to what Rav Druk was just saying, davening is only real and Hashem listens to davening when it represents what we need. If you're davening for your friend and your friend's pain is not your need, then God's not interested in your putting a check next to, I deserve to be honored at the shul dinner, I am part of the Tehillim circle. God wants, when you're saying the Tehillim in the Tehillim circle, that you're feeling the pain of someone else as if it's your own. Sha'ol tzrachav shahut tzarech lahen. Hashem, I'm tzarech lahen. I need that person to get better. That's one of my needs. Hashem, I need them to have a parnasa. That's one of my needs. Hashem, I need peace in Israel and around the world. That's one of my needs. I need this virus to go away. That's one of my needs. I'm not davening for someone else. I'm davening for myself because the pain of someone else bothers me so much to my core. So says the Maharal, now we can understand what the Maharal was saying, using the Rambam's beautiful understanding of Sheila Strachem, that the request and the petition is not for someone else, it has to be something we feel ourselves. In other words, tefillah cannot be, tefillah, I'm sorry, should be in the sense, self-centered. Self-centeredness here is not a virtue, but it represents my needs. I have to see what's lacking or I have to see the pain that someone else is going through as something I don't have and that's what I'm davening for. And that's what I'm davening for. So that was something that Lot says Rav Druk. For Lot, his life depended on it. Avram, it didn't. In general, our davening, even for other people, should be at the level of as if our life depends on it. You see this also by Ispalel. Perachav Pasuk Yates. Turn the page. Turn two pages, 92. In three pages, 94. What happens? We have a repeat, the sequel here, of Avram's in Gerar. Sarah is abducted. Avram never revealed that she was his wife. Hashem almost took it out on Avimelech. Avram davens for Avimelech that he be spared, and he is spared, and he goes on his way. Hashem completely restrained every office of Avimelech because of Sarah and because of Avraham. So what's the question here? It's a very simple question. When Avram, when Avimelech, the king of the Plishtim, took Sarah, Hashem told him, Hinchames, you're going to die. So Avimelech answered, what did Avimelech answer? I didn't know. I'm innocent. I didn't know she's a married woman. I thought she's single. How could you hold me accountable? How could you punish me with death? I didn't do anything wrong. So the Torah tells us, Hashem says, Hashem says, I know you're innocent. I know you didn't know. I know you didn't know. And yet, give back the woman. And the Navi, he's going to daven for you. What's strange about this story? God says, I know you're innocent, but you're still going to die unless you give her back and Avram will daven for you. What's strange? Hello? What's strange? Hashem could just say, yeah, you're off the hook. I know, you didn't do anything wrong. 
I know, you didn't know. Give her back. Let everyone go on their way. Kumbaya. Shalom Yisrael. Next story. He says, yeah, I know you're innocent, but, sorry, death sentence, unless, give her back, Avram Davins. Why does Avram need to Davin? So Rabbi Cheska Levenstein, who was the Menar Ruchani of Panovich, Mashkiach of Panovich, says the following. He says, you see, he's so gadol. The tefillah, Hashem set up the world in such a way that davening is the key that opens a door, even if, even if the door should be open. It means Hashem has set aside bracha for us, shefa bracha. There are storehouses and there is a flow of blessing waiting for us. But do you know how we access it? You have to daven. I've spoken about this in Living with Amuna before. I could have the winning lottery ticket. I don't. I, I won the lottery because I have the most blessed life of all time. But I don't have the winning lottery ticket, but you could. Two weeks ago, someone in Boca, on Camino Real, won two lottery tickets, a million dollars each. And I'm still looking for them. But you could win the lottery. And the lottery is the last thing in life that you could have a digital version that doesn't help you. You need the little slip of paper with the lottery numbers on it. So you could call in and say, look, I won the lottery. Will they give you the money? What do you need to do? You need to turn in the ticket. You could tell all your friends and family, I have the winning numbers. I'm a millionaire, I'm a billionaire. But do you have the money in your account? Not until when? Until you turn in the ticket. Davening is our turning in the ticket. We've won the lottery. Hashem has all kinds of plans and brachas for us. But we have to turn in the ticket if we're going to access it, if we're going to get it. Davening is the way we turn in the ticket. You see this going all the way back to Parshas Bracious. Hashem set up a whole ecological system. He set up a whole system of condensation and rain and saturation and fields. But it says that while it was all in place, it didn't kick into motion yet. God didn't press start or go. It didn't start until when? Until man was created. Rashi says, why? Until there was someone to daven for the rain. Well, Hashem, what are you so egotistical? You need someone to ask in order for you to give? It's built into the Bria, built into creation, is that we don't get until we ask, even that which is justly set aside. You see this also, Hashem Pokar Asorah Kasher Amar. You see in our parsha. Hashem made her pregnant, as he said. And there Chazal say, We spoke about this last year too. We learned from here that the person who davens for someone else is answered first because Avram davened for Avimelech. And as a result, he had a son. So you see this Yisod, that even though Avram was promised a son, what did he need to do first? He needed to daven. Even that which we've been promised, even that which is set aside and designated to come our way, we have to ask, we have to daven for it first, otherwise we don't get it. I had a hundred more things I wanted to share with you. A hundred more. Oh, so much more I wanted to share. I give fault. What should we do last? What should we finish up with? Uh, we'll finish up with the Nimr Chaim. Because he's the Nimr Chaim, the vision of the Rebbe. The Imre Chaim, the Vishnu, says the following. Perach of Allah, Thank God we're going to read it again next year. What happens? The birth of Yitzchak. Hagar and Yishmael, Sarah says, yeah, bad influence, get him out. And Hashem says to Avram, kosher, what men have been hearing from their wives. I don't know what they teach in seminary, but every Jewish woman knows this Pasuk by heart. Kolasher tamar lecha Sarah, shma bekola. I don't know if they give it out in Kala classes or where they get it. Every Jewish woman knows that by heart. Whatever Sarah tells you, you have to listen to her. 
someone asked me in Parshas Barashas in New York, someone from New York texted me, they wanted to know why couldn't Adam use that as his defense when Chava told him to eat from the apple? Well, what do you mean? You're going to tell Avram, you got to always listen to the woman. I was just doing the, I'm listening to the wife. Isn't that what we're supposed to do? Why wasn't that a good defense then if now Avram's being told, whatever you do, you got to listen to your wife. So listen to her. Listen to her. The beautiful insight by Rav Soloveitchik on those words, but we don't have time for it. So Avram does listen to her and throws Yishmal out of the house. And uh, what does it say? Perachafalaf Pasuk Yudalad. Vayashkim Avram Baboker. Again, you see the theme Avram waking up early in the morning. Alacrity, zeal, zrizus. Vayikach lechem vachemas mayim vayitain al hagar. Sam al Sheikhma. He packed her lunch. What a good hubby. While he's throwing her out of the house. Here's a lunchbox. He puts it on her shoulder, gives her the boy, his boy, Yishmal, sends them off. Sends them off. Oso Avram Avinu, we'll close with these words of the Imre Chaim, of the Vishnitzer Rebbe. Oso Avram Avinu, This Parsha is a paradox. The Parsha begins with Avram welcoming idolaters. It begins with Avram who cannot stand not expressing hospitality and love and sensitivity and kindness. And the same Avram, who can't help but be hospitable, the same Avram, who intervenes and intercedes and advocates and davens for the wicked people of stone, the same Avram, who welcomes idolatrous angels, the same Avram, who... Davins for stone, the same Avram who goes to battle the four things of the five kings because he thinks there's an injustice, the same Avram who rescues Lot, even though Lot's a disappointment, who magarishes beno Yishmol bechol Madbara, same Avram is the one who can't stand injustice, who stands up and advocates for the underprivileged, who helps those who don't have, is now going to throw his wife and son to the curb? Lelamedcha, says the Imre Chaim the Vizhnitzer. Avram will give his entire life in order to save another soul. When he thinks that his son is spiritually in danger, there is no compassion anymore. Avram, while he's the most compassionate person that ever lived, when it comes to protecting and securing the spiritual safety of his son, he has no compassion. If his son were to be exposed to or attached to, if his son were to be tempted by um, influences which would corrupt him, Avram has no patience. He found the ability to be cruel even with his own wife and even with his own flesh and blood son. He gets rid of Lot. He expels Lot, he expels Yishmael. Because he knew it's a very powerful idea that we have to find that balance. To truly be the progeny of Avram, we also have to thread this needle. On the one hand, to stand up and to represent, to advocate for those who are less privileged, to fight for justice, to express sympathy and empathy and sensitivity and care and concern for all. On the other hand, we have a spiritual legacy that we have to secure, that we have to protect fiercely, fiercely, and we have to engage and involved whatever it takes for ourselves to protect it because there is so much at stake. The continuity of our people 
and our values and ideals and virtue and the ability to transform the world is at stake. So yes, it's not a contradiction, says the Imre Chaim, that the same Avram who did all of those things on behalf of others could throw out his own flesh and blood, Lot and Yishmael, because when it came to Yitzchak's spiritual safety and security, he was unwavering and he did whatever it took. There's a big lesson for us. I already have half my shear for next year prepared. Baruch Hashem, I guess, for that. Join us tomorrow morning for Living with Emuna, 9.45, thank God, because of a bris. Tomorrow night, 9 p.m., Professor Ruth Wise of Harvard University. We go behind the bima. Until next time, stay happy, stay healthy, and stay holy.